Good morning. Good to see you. I invite you to open your Bible with me. I uh, guess we're at First Timothy, and uh, we'll we'll read Scripture to, together in just a moment. I want you to uh, try and use your imagination and envision yourself a young single person uh, called by God to be in ministry and you've prepared yourself well, maybe studied and studied and prepped and you finally step into your first pastoral assignment. And it's a city church in a large metropolis area, maybe like someplace like Houston, Texas, that has a very, very diverse population. Do you know that Houston is the most diverse city in the U.S.? Different nationalities and groups more than any other city. Large city, perhaps like Houston, diverse group of people, a lot of shipping points and ports there. And, and so here you are living by yourself in a strange new city, pastoring your first church with hopes and dreams of being successful that God would do some extraordinary things through you in ministry. And so as you step into that role, you begin to realize that this is going to be no easy task. The congregation that you assume is rife with issues, and this is what you are faced with. Having started there, you discover that several teachers in the church are not teaching the Bible and are teaching things contrary to sound doctrine, which requires you to do something. And so you perhaps get all those teachers together and you have to talk to them about what they're teaching. Try to get them back to scripture. And then you discover there's a group of men in the church that are politically minded, just passionate about politics, and they're angry at the government. And so they're stirring up things politically in the church. And so you have to meet with those men and tell them some things need to change, and instead of causing them to fill the church and make the church divisive over politics, you call them to pray. And as that's going on, you realize that during the worship services, some of the women in the church are dressing provocatively, and it's obvious they're trying to attract attention to themselves. So here you are, a single person, having to meet with all of these women in the church and to navigate through that issue. And shortly thereafter, it comes to your attention that there's a group of men and women in the church who are aspiring to be leaders in the church who are not qualified, and so you have to single them out, begin meeting with them, and tell them, no, they're not going to be put into these positions of leadership. And on top of all of that, there's several members who are under the influence of demonic activity. And all of your earlier study and all of your preparation, having been mentored and perhaps serving as an apprentice, none of that adequately prepared you for all of that. In modern terms, that's exactly what was required of young Pastor Timothy. We've been going through, that's exactly what you see he's dealing with as Paul writes this letter to him. And Timothy, upon re reading this letter, has to be elated because he discovers that Paul is coming to be with him. First Corinthians or First Timothy three verse fourteen, he says, "Timothy, I'm coming. I hope to see you. But if I'm delayed, if I don't get there as quickly as I hope, then 
you follow this letter, you do these things that are being prescribed, and I hope that some point I'll get there to be with you. And Timothy, if you follow my advice, you will be a good servant. You'll be a good pastor. Our text this morning that we're going to read has two applications. Certainly, it's applicable for all pastors. All of this instruction is timeless, valuable for pastors and elders and overseers in the church. But second, this letter has practical value and instruction for all of us. Counsel that all of us would benefit from by taking to heart. And so the context in 1 Timothy chapter 4 we're going to pick up at verse 6, but if verse 1 of that text, Paul says, as you serve the Lord Jesus, this is what you can expect, Timothy, during these last days or these latter times. Those last days, those latter times refer to this in-between time between when Jesus first ascended back to heaven after he was crucified and he was buried and he was raised from the dead. He appears 40 days. He ascends back to heaven. And so, and then the Bible says he's coming again. The time between his ascension and his second coming, if you study scripture, it is referred to as the last days, these latter times. Certainly, you and I are living in those days. And Paul warns that during these last days, the faith of many, and he's referring to God's people, referring to the world, but to the church, he says, the faith of many is going to weaken. Followers of Christ are going to drift from Scripture. They're going to embrace beliefs that are contrary to the Bible. And he says, many will lose heart. Their passion for Christ will wane. They'll no longer be passionate about worshiping the Lord, serving the Lord, serving other people, bringing him glory, and they're just their love for Christ will grow cold. How many of you would say that's a characteristic that we're seeing happening today among church members? During the last days, the faith of many will grow weak. And so with that in mind, Paul says there are some spiritual characteristics that should be seen in both preachers as well as church members. So in other words, what's behind the pulpit should also be filling the pews. Read with me 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting with the sixth verse. Timothy, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good servant, a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. And he tells why. Having promise for the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor, toil, and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Timothy, teach these things, command and teach. Let's, let's pray. 
Father, this is sacred time, holy time, gathered and dwelled by your Holy Spirit, having been entrusted with the words of life, give us ears to hear your Spirit speaking to us in a deep and personal way. And God, we would have resolve to do whatever you say to be faithful. It's required of stewards to be faithful. Thank you for your word, for your spirit. Speak now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to uh, this morning keep your Bible open, if you would, and we're going to be looking at a lot of different texts this morning as we expound on the text that we've read. And I want you to notice in the very first verse, in verse 6, it begins with a condition. Do you see it? If, if, Timothy, if you as a young pastor want to be a good pastor, a wise and good, faithful servant, minister, then if that's what you desire, then do this. Therefore, all of us as Hillcrest Baptist Church, as family and friends and attenders, we can apply the very same condition to ourselves. If you and I have a desire placed within us, birthed within us by the Holy Spirit to be good servants, then these are some things to consider. If we want to serve our spouse well and our family well and our employers well and friends well and neighbors well and coworkers and we want to serve our church family well, then all of the instruction that Paul offers and provides to Timothy applies to us. In other words, what's behind the pulpit should also be filling the pews. And I want you to consider this morning three essentials for effective service. Three essentials for effective service. First, from verse 6, here's where Paul tells Timothy to begin. Devote yourself to what? He says, devote yourself to to learning, devote yourself to instruction. Timothy, you as well as the entire congregation are to eat, to eat well. Most of us Baptists are pretty, pretty good at that. But verse 6, he says, remain nourished on the words of faith and of good doctrine or sound biblical instruction. Learn. Devote yourself to instruction. I'm continually discovering how eating, taking in nourishment consists of two components. There is a physical component to eating and then more and more I'm becoming aware of an emotional component when it comes to taking in food. Some of you have heard the old question, do I eat to live, or do I live to eat? <laughs> when I was a small boy growing up in Michigan, I remember playing out in the neighborhood with my buddies, and you know, and I remember my mom would come out and yell my name, Charles Lane, I'd hear my name in the neighborhood, and it was time to come in and get lunch. 
And I didn't want to come in and get lunch. I didn't want to eat. Just didn't want to take the time to do that. And the older I get, I find myself enjoying meals more than I did when I was young. Eating is, has become a bigger deal. Eating good, seasoned, savory food stimulates my brain and my palate. Generally, I don't view eating anymore as an interruption. In fact, eating food, it's a much bigger deal, and it's more than just taking in enough calories every day to stay alive and to be healthy. In fact, receiving nourishment has both a physical and eat, an emotional component. Any amens to that? Yeah. I, re I remember my dad in his latter years when he just, he just loved to eat, you know, and and uh, you just kind of irritate us a little bit, but he would, look, tell you the truth, he would actually look at his watch and he'd say, okay, we've, we've eaten today at this time, and then he would clock it all out and he would know when the next meal was to come. It was uh, emotional, it was gratifying, very satisfying for him to, to eat. Paul is telling Timothy that good servants of the Lord Jesus Christ need to eat well, not only for spiritual health, but also for spiritual happiness. To eat well, to nourish ourselves. Nourished, and he says, our faith needs fuel. And that fuel is scripture. That fuel is sound doctrine. It's what facilitates faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Wouldn't it be great if we could get to the place where our desire for the words of faith was as strong as our desire for food? Wouldn't that be great? Let me read to you from the Psalms, the 19th Psalm. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. Psalm 19. Uh, listen to this description about the words of faith. Psalm 19, starting... At verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgment, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great Reward. The apostle Paul or Apostle Peter wrote something very similar in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says to us, lay aside, put aside all malice, all deceit, lay aside all hypocrisy, all envy, and evil speaking, and as newborn babes desire, desire the pure milk of God's word that you may grow by it, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. A brother in this congregation <clears throat> sent me a text on Friday. It was about, a, he was going somewhere, I think, in his vehicle and had the radio on, was listening, and he heard a new country song. 
And the title of the song uh, was Mind on Fishing. I'm sure some of you have heard it. And so he sent me this link, Mind on Fishing, and I watched the video and I listened. And let me, let me share with you some of the lyrics. I'd rather be on the lake with my mind on God in the middle of his creation than in church with my mind on fishing. I'd rather be on the lake with my mind on God in the middle of his creation in an old John boat with my Zebco rod with some private conversation. There might be a few people talking bad about me when they see that I'm a missing. He's talking about Sunday morning. But I'd rather be on the lake with my mind on God than in church with my mind on fishing. And then he adds, with my thoughts a-drifting, I ain't even listening. Well, it all goes over my head. So I'd rather be on the lake with my mind on God than in church with my mind on fishing. When I first watched that video and listened to those lyrics, at first it seemed kind of funny. Kind of laughed, chuckled a little bit. And then after I thought about it more, I started realizing somebody actually wrote that. (laughs) And I'll guarantee it's going to be a hit. Probably already is. And because it's relatable and true. And people are going to listen to that song and think it's funny. Because the writer of that song captures a pretty sad, a pretty full pitiful spiritual mindset because the song characterizes what we're talking about in the text or the lack thereof. The song characterizes the fact that far too many church members don't have much of an appetite for God and his word, no craving for spiritual nourishment. Paul tells Timothy, devote yourself to spiritual instruction, to both your instruction and to that of the congregation. Let me ask you, do you crave, do you desire, do you long to hear words of faith? Do you possess a longing in your spirit for God's word? Have you acquired a spiritual appetite? I flipped on the old Miss game last night, and it's pretty exciting, you know. Back to back. To back home runs, pretty exciting. And as much as I like to watch exciting moments like that in sports, they don't really satisfy. They don't really satisfy like the Word of God. If you are like me, for example, and you grew up eating biscuits and gravy, then unfortunately, like me, you're always going to enjoy eating biscuits and gravy. Why? Because it's an acquired taste. We crave for things that we get used to eating. And the bottom line is this. If we don't pause and spend time with God in his word and never listen to what God is saying to us, we're never going to know who he is. And we'll go through life knowing about him, knowing the gospel, but never really knowing who God is. Paul says, first devote yourself to learning, 
to instruction. Second, notice in verse 11, devote yourself then to passing along God's word to others. Sounds like our mission, doesn't it? A mission given to all of us to make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, of all people. What? Teaching them what you've learned. Teaching them to obey. Teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you. And so that starts in the home with moms and dads being involved in spiritual instruction. The text says, Timothy, command these things. Teach these things. If, you, if you'll notice, in, uh, you have your Bible open, look at verse 6. He says this in verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, look at verse 11. These things command and teach, and we didn't read them. We'll get to these next week. Look at verse 15. Meditate on these things. Look at verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them these things. So it's recurring. And so whether you are a paid pastor, an elder, or a non-paid, or a parishioner, or a church member, we're called to nourish ourselves in the words of faith and then to pass along what God is revealing and teaching to us. I was blessed this week. There was a man in this church, and he and I were sitting in the office, and he said something to me that really blessed me and really encouraged me. He said something to this effect. He says, I love coming in and you and I just sitting here like this and talking about life, about our families, about God, the things that God is revealing to us from his word. Just passing along, sharing things, thoughts that God was revealing to us from scripture. A couple older dudes thinking about things and reflecting back and wishing maybe we could have been more intentional in our younger days than we are now and seeing the wisdom of those kinds of things. Passing along, sharing with others. Listen, let me say this to you. Sharing the word of God doesn't have to be a, there's certainly another, but sharing the word of God doesn't necessarily have to be where we sit across from each other's table with our Bible open and go through scripture. And there's certainly value in that. We need to, but part of it is just talking about the Lord in the day, talking about the things of God, the things that he's revealed to us about himself and his word and how to apply those and just having those kinds of conversations, passing along the things of God. I plan on doing that this week with some people that I'm going to be around. Command, teach these things, instruct. Certainly a requirement that we saw earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 3 when Paul is talking about those who lead the church, the spiritual leaders, he says in verse 8, must be apt to teach. They must know the word, they must be able to communicate the word, and they must be able to apply it when making decisions. For us to fulfill our mission, God's word has to be dispensed. It has to be passed along. Sound like 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Timothy, the things that you've received to me and trust to other men who will be able to pass it along to other faithful men. Paul to Timothy to some men to some additional men. So it's moving, it's linear, being passed along. And so effective service to the Lord means that we're learning we're receiving instruction from the Holy Spirit as we spend time with God in his word. And then we're sharing that. We're dispensing it, passing it along, words of faith. Mindy and I do that. 
We'll talk about things that we're reading, learning, thinking about, about God, about ministry, about serving the Lord. Let me ask you, would you think about that with me? Sharing scripture, passion. And let me ask you, how are you doing that? How are you passing along? How are you sharing spiritual instruction with other people? Paul actually tells Timothy what to pass along. He says these things. Well, what is these things? What is that referring to? Well, I think Paul is referring to everything that he's previously said to Timothy. Do you remember? First of all, perseverance. He says, Timothy, stay with it. Don't quit. Remain where you are. Resist the temptation, Timothy. Resist the temptation to get crossed up with people. They don't like me, and I don't like them, so I'm going to quit, and I'm going to go somewhere else. There are certainly good reasons for leaving a church and going to a different church. But let me say this to you, Mississippi style. That ain't one of them, right? Getting crossed up with somebody here and running off to another church, that is no reason to leave the body of Christ, and it happens all the time. Somebody says something I don't like, they hurt my feelings, and so I go somewhere else. And guess what? It's going to happen there. If you do it here and you do it there, you're going to do it again. You're going to run Certainly good reasons for leaving. If God opens a door, calls you to another place for ministry, or opens a door, just lots of different, or the word of God's not being preached or taught someplace, and certainly time is short. So certainly good reasons, but that's not one of them. And so Paul tells Timothy to convey this, pass along, teach. People need to persevere, persevere. Second, devote yourself to personal study. Remember that? He says, devote yourself to doctrine. Third, connect with people. Teach that. Connect with people. Build relationships. He urges everyone to pray. We saw that in 1 Timothy 2. Establishing leaders, pursuing proper conduct. All of these things need to be taught. Timothy received this instruction and passed these things along to others. And and in verse 7, the first part of that verse, if you'll notice, there's also a warning. Timothy, keep God's word as priority one. Reject profane and old wives' fables. In other words, Timothy, don't become enamored with current trends and fads and the newest, latest, greatest ideas and practices. But Timothy, just stay with the basics. Stick with the words of faith. Effective service having a viable ministry, all of us involves a devotion to spiritual nourishment, to passing along, sharing with others what God is sharing with us and revealing to us. And finally, effective service involves a devotion to spiritual exercise, spiritual exercise. Look at verse 7 and also verse 8. He says, Reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise, a bad word, right? Exercise yourself toward godliness. Why? For bodily exercise profits a little bit, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Exercise. Exercise. Uh, I would say of the three things, this is one of the most important 
of these three, a commitment, a dedication to spiritually working out. Making a commitment to spiritual exercise, to a spiritual workout. The Bible says there is value in what? In bodily exercise. It's valuable. Physical exercise, right? Our physical bodies, the Bible teaches we're to be good stewards of everything God entrusts to trust to us, so on. So you and I want to take care of our physical bodies, temples of the Holy Spirit. And so it's certainly wise to try and exercise. Several years ago, our oldest daughter began getting interested in running marathons, and so she began to read about those, and, and she started training. And I remember she sent Mindy and I noticed that she was going to run in her very first marathon. It was in Washington, D.C., and, and so we bought tickets, and we traveled to Washington, D.C., and watched her run in the Marine Corps Marathon, 26 miles, and stationed ourselves at different points along the 26-mile route. We'd go at one place, sent Wafer to come by, and you had this electronic stuff where you could actually track where they were on the course, and so when she went by, we, ah! And we yelled and we cheered her on, and you know, and then we moved to some other place and to find the next place where we'd meet her on the course. And so we did that most of the day. Well, soon after she finished, she came up with the idea that if dad started training, then the two of us could run some races together. And so she sent me a training calendar. I didn't know there were training calendars for marathons and I kind of reluctantly agreed, and I got started and went up to the place and got fitted. She said, oh, you got to have these kinds of shoes. And so I went and actually got fitted. You get on a treadmill, and it's computerized, and they, you start running on that treadmill, and they can tell you where, how you're landing if your feet, are prone, your feet are pronated or this and all these different kind of things. And they fit you for these shoes. And so I got fitted for the best shoes I got. I figured I needed all the help I could get, so I got fitted for shoes. And then I started following this running schedule and began to lift weights in as well. And so we ran our very first race together. And at the end of the race, she reached over and grabbed my hand. I was about to die. And, <laughs> and, uh, and we finished that race. And I got to tell you, it was pretty rewarding, and not only did I feel better physically, but it helped me mentally. Point is, you're right, bodily, physical exercise is profitable. And so all of us want to do our very best to try to take care of these jars of clay, and it requires some discipline and some effort. I, I wish that eating food was just more physical and less emotional, Right? Uh, but it requires discipline, it requires effort. Notice the comparison in verse 8. While bodily exercise profits, there's some value. He says a little bit, some value to it. What does he say? This is the emphasis. But spiritual exercise unto godliness is of double value. Why is spiritual exercise of double value? Well, he says in verse 8, because... Spiritual exercise, exercising ourselves unto godliness has a benefit now, but it also has a benefit for that which is to come. It has temporal value, 
but it has eternal value. Spiritual exercise, exercising ourselves unto godliness. Look at verses 9 and 10. These kind of provide a commentary on spiritual exercise. Look what Paul says. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance for to this end, what? Spiritual exercise. Exercising ourselves unto godliness, we both toil and labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. That's the commentary. Reasons for spiritual exercise. Reasons for exercise unto godliness. And I'll paraphrase it because this life is not all there is. God's offer of salvation and eternal life, he says, is to who? Third or fourth time, we've seen this in Paul's letter to Timothy. It's to all men, to all persons, especially those who believe. And so to this end, we labor, he says, and we toil. We serve, we labor, we toil. He says, if necessary, we endure hardships as we serve. And even as we serve, if necessary, we're willing to suffer reproach because we continue to trust in the living God. Our mission as a church has never changed. It's never going to change. How we apply it, we made to adjust contextually, but our mission is never going to change until Jesus comes back. And our mission is to make disciples to make disciples, to receive doctrine, to receive instruction, to share it with other people, to exercise ourselves unto godliness, to be the men and the women and the witnesses that God has called us to be to fulfill our mission, for the lost to be saved, for others to come to find hope in God through salvation. And for that purpose, we do all we can exercising ourselves unto godliness. And listen, when you're training, when you're training, it can get tiresome and it can get difficult, but when you run the race and you finish the course, then it makes it all worthwhile. I want to read another way that Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bible there, turn with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, listen to what he says starting in the 24th verse. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, the prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, vigilant in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, a temporary crown, a temporary reward, but we for an imperishable crown. It's eternal. Therefore, Paul says, I run this way, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who pommels or beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. 
I discipline my life unto spiritual godliness. Not aimless. Discipline unto spiritual godliness. Let me close with a couple of suggestions for spiritual training, for some spiritual exercise that is certain to keep you and I in shape to live a life of godliness. Consider these exercises. First, abide in Jesus. Just abide in Jesus. Walk with Jesus. In the morning when you rise, your feet hit the floor, walk with Jesus tomorrow. Walk with him during the day. Walk with him in the evening. Walk with him till you go right back. Listen to John chapter 15. Jesus describes this very well. John chapter 15 starting verse 4. He says, abide, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you walk with me, abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Listen to what he says will happen in your prayer life. You will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Abiding in Jesus. You know, closely related to abiding Jesus is being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're synonymous. The command, abide in me, abide in my word, is synonymous with being filled with the Spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be, that's a command. It's an imperative. Be filled with the Spirit. And these are the characteristics. These are the evidences of being Spirit-filled. Sounds like bearing fruit, bringing the Lord glory. Verse 19, speaking, this, describing our words. This is what will come out of our mouths when we're abiding in Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. We will speak differently, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then describing something inwardly, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's, there's spiritual music. The Holy Spirit is producing music in our soul. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another the fear of God. Do you see those four things? Jesus says, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you're going to have a victorious prayer life, you're going to bear much fruit, the Father's going to be glorified through your life. And here, if you're filled with the Spirit, sounds like John 15, if you're filled with the Spirit, what? The words... Scripture, psalms and hymns are going to flow from your mouth. You're going to pass along things. He says you're, there's going to be a spirit, there's going to be joy, music, the Don Talbot music's going to flow out of us and we'll be thankful and we're going to have improved relationships submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. 
if you combine John 15 with Ephesians 5, here are the results of abiding in Christ and being filled with the Spirit. Let me just rattle them off. You're going to speak Scripture. You're going to live a joyful, thankful life. You're going to have a robust prayer life. You're going to have improved relationships. You're going to bear fruit, bring God glory, and prove to be His disciples. Exercise. Spiritual exercise unto godliness. And second, exercise yourself in the context of community. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Would you turn there with me? We'll close. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 24. Writing to God's people, let us hold fast the profession or confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised us is faithful. We're talking about spiritual godliness, exercise unto godliness. Look at verse 24. And let us consider this. Let us consider. Let's think about one another in order to stir up one another unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as, as has become the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So much more. You know what he's saying there? Spiritual exercise, abiding in Christ, abiding in his word, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying being connected with my church family, with my brothers and sisters in Christ as you see the day drawing near. Getting involved, helping and serving in relationship with another, encouraging one another, being, being accountable to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, it's a choice, and with those choice comes great benefits. Hillcrest, let's receive spiritual instruction. Let's continue to learn. Let's pass along. Let's share all that God is revealing to us about who he is and his word, and let's live connected, living godly lives connected with one another. Let's pray together.